You're listening to Strong Runner Chick Radio, episode 12. Welcome to Strong Runner Chick Radio, a leading online community where our goal is to educate, empower, and connect female distance runners across the world. We believe in healthy running, fueling, and embracing our strength as female distance runners inside and out. Through interviews with top professional, collegiate, and master's level runners, leading dietitians, coaches, sports psychologists, and runners of all shapes and sizes, we hope to spread the message that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to distance running. Now, let's get to the show. Hey, Strong Runner Chicks. Welcome to another episode of Strong Runner Chick Radio. Today we have with us Megan Marshall. Megan Marshall um, is the co-founder of the FLY Movement, which stands for Fuel Love You. She is also a business core administrator at the Smeal College of Business at Penn State University. And additionally, she was a student athlete on the Penn State track and field team, where she was a Big Ten medalist in the distance medley relay, a Big Ten scorer in the 800 meters, and a member of the Penn State school record-setting distance medley relay team in 2007. Welcome to Strong Runner Chick radio, Megan. Hi, so glad to be here. And I'm so glad to be able to have this opportunity to talk to talk to everyone. Thank you. We're so happy to have you. Um, Megan's been such a supporter from the start of Strong Runner Chicks and finding out about her and the fly movement and all that she's been doing has really inspired us to um, speak a bit more loudly about our mission too and help spread the message. So um, yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, definitely. This is awesome. Yeah, we're super happy to have you, Megan. And um, so we always start our podcast with this question. Um, How'd you get your start in running? So I guess originally I wasn't um, a runner, like growing up, like it didn't just like, like I know some people start really young, but um, for me and and my three sisters, we were very much like a multi-sport family. So um so I guess like in all those sports we ran, but, um, I didn't find, I guess, running until high school. And mm-hmm. at that point, like I had the name Meg legs and sports and definitely was encouraged to start track. Um, but I didn't think I would really enjoy it. Um, because typically in most sports running is a punishment and, mm-hmm. um, I definitely found my niche and I was very passionate about it right away and just found camaraderie with the girls on my team. And, um, since then, like went to college and, you know, post-collegiately has, have enjoyed running since. So it's mm-hmm. kind of been a lifelong process of, you know, growing into a runner and then continuing to learn and grow as a runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, what was that college experience like for you running and like making that transition from, you know, high school to college and how did that kind of lead to what you do today? Yeah, I guess like for me, uh, the transition was, was pretty difficult and, but it was unknowingly going to be difficult. So, you know, I went 
went into it thinking like it was a great fit for me and I was going to be taken care of and I love the team and and just like the location of the university um, and it wasn't too far from home but it was far enough but a lot of things happened like my first year including injury which I didn't know you know the changes that would happen for my first injury in my body and what I went through with mental illness and some of the changes really took a toll and um just being in an environment that placed everyone kind of in the same category as far as like what you should look like, how you should train. And so that was really eye-opening for me. And, you know, I, I don't want to say it was all negative because I definitely have grown and learned from it, but, um, you know, not talking about some of these things that we're going to talk about what was kind of frowned upon and just like, kind of putting food into two different categories, like good and bad. And some of those things, it was just a lot of unhealthy, like, um, you know, conversations that were being had. And I think that just threw me for a loop, you know, going into college, even though I was really excited to. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, kind of moving into like how the fly movement started, um, I'm, I guess, was your experience a catalyst for starting the Love Fly movement? And if so, like how many years after school did you decide to start that mm-hmm. up? It was definitely a catalyst. Um, I got to a point, um, it might have been 10 years removed from my college experience, and it took a long time for me. And I think what happened was I had this one time that I was able to share with a like a larger group of people and that experience and the feeling of freedom and just like this huge weight, like just being thrown off of my, my shoulders. um, It made me realize that there's probably other people out there. And instead of, you know, not sharing um, about my experience um, and the negativity, I think I could turn it into a positive experience and, and, you know, help others and have, and create these experiences on teams or in camps or whatever, you know, uh, atmosphere that we talk about these workshops in to have a safe space where, you know, you're not going to be judged for your thoughts and your feelings and, you know, what you have to say and what you experience is valuable. And that's always our message. And, you know, I talk about loving yourself, but it, I, it's definitely a journey and you're not going to love yourself every day. It's, it's not realistic, but I think it's, you know, get to a place of acceptance. And then, you know, I think loving yourself in different ways and accepting is a place um, that you can get to through that, you know, any experience you have. Mm. And for those who are listening and don't actually know what the Love Fly movement is, would you mind describing that a little bit more? Because I know before I had met you, I had no idea what it was. And then once I read about it, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. So um, I would love for you to share that with our uh, listeners. Yeah. So it started out with a meeting of different stakeholders at Penn State University, um, nutritionists, um, psychologists, and some other people like medical professionals that do a lot with um, an intensive 
program at Penn State. And I was just curious, like, what is Penn State doing in athletics and with the general population with eating disorders? And so I met Jody Whipple there, and she's a registered dietitian, and she practices um, intuitive eating. And we hit it off the bat. I didn't think she was going to be there. She randomly got asked to come. And just knowing, like, my passion and my background – she jumped right in and we created, we wanted to create a movement um, where we can generate, you know, generate these conversations and do workshops with teams and provide not only um, didactic information, so some research and some information that maybe people don't know about body image and influ- like factors that influence, but also, you know, how can you in your team environment as an individual, as a team player, you know, how can you change, you know, your body image? What are some things that you can use as tools? And so that was more of like my experience playing into these workshops. So it was just a combination of that, that really, I think it attracts people because when I hear stories like that makes me more connected to that person because they went through that. And we've been doing workshops for about two years and worked with camps, um, actually went to Kara Goucher's podium retreat last year. Um, And then this year, you know, we're doing more like with Penn State because, you know, it requires no travel, but um, we're working with the gymnastics team next week, which is really exciting. but just different opportunities that have popped up, even if it's just like a 30 minute like little workshop or, or a 90 minute workshop, they, they kind of vary depending on the needs of the population. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think Megan and I are both fangirling over the fact that you went to care of the Gouchers podium. <laughs> yeah. That is incredible. Definitely. Oh my gosh. And just the fact that you've talked not only to so many um, distance running related teams, but Also, I mean, like you had said before, because we had chatted, you had mentioned you didn't feel like you were really a distance runner, even you're more Mm -hmm. mid distance and 800. And just to talk to all different teams, I mean, it just shows that there's a need not only in running, but also in, you know, gymnastics and different sports like that. So what are some of kind of the overlaps that you see with body image and these mental health struggles throughout all sports you've spoken to? Yeah, I think because of the environment athletes are in and kind of our personalities of, you know, high achieving, mostly type A, um, wanting to achieve these high goals. And, you know, sometimes it's also wanting to be the best and wanting to be seen a certain way by your coach, by your team. Um, I think we all, you know, have experienced this on some continuum. And I think it just is a huge factor in every sport depending on what it is so like in talking to the women's lacrosse team here um you know I it's amazing like I didn't know if they would really pick up anything but in talking to them after like it was just that experience to talk about those things um because they struggle too and I think everyone does in a certain way and just having that opportunity to talk about those things because then there's more transparency and there isn't like a negative connotation. Oh, we can't talk about this topic. 
um, because we do talk about everything else, um, concussions and stress fractures. And, you know, she was out for this, you know, specific injury. But I think, you know, eating disorders, they're just as important to talk about and the education and prevention, um, you know, being healthy and happy as a whole athlete. Um, I think we can all do so much better, you know, in our respective sports by educating and preventing. Mm -hmm. I love what you said about um, how we talk about concussions and like stress Mm -hmm. fractures and like broken bones and all these other injuries. Um, And we forget about the underlying mechanisms of um, like fueling our bodies and eating disorders Mm -hmm. and these other mental health issues that a lot of athletes do struggle with. And um, so I think what you're doing with the Love Five movement is so powerful because you're bringing forth those ideas that mm-hmm. are taboo to talk about and ideas that mm-hmm. you know we tend to throw under the rug, even though they're probably the ones we need to talk about the most. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, even if it's just one little thing that I took away, like I think that's a positive. Like, you know, if they got nothing else out of the presentation or the workshop, except one thing that they now understand or, you know, an eye opener or it moved them some way. Like, I think that's where the movement piece of our presentations and then spreading that, you know, to their team or, you know, their family or whoever else that they may feel like needs to hear that message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. that's great. Mm-hmm. It's, it sounds like you're making, um, a really nice community feel out of it. It's not just yeah. targeting people. It's more of just like welcoming and inviting yeah. people and, to and sometimes, us. sometimes we do meet with like the coach beforehand to talk about their, their wants and needs and, you know, communicating that with them and what we're going to be talking about to maybe make it more comfortable for them. Um, because I, you know, it is scary for some people that aren't educated and like I've heard before through a dietitian that, uh, maybe you shouldn't talk about that because then people will get it, get eating disorders or like this just weird concept of the more you tell me about it, the more people are going to get eating disorders. But I confidently (laughs) agree. It's the other way around. So that's why we're doing it. And we're, you know, pushing this message out there to the community and to teams. Yeah. So I'm interested now because you brought up, um, almost like these myths that people think, mm-hmm. um, what are some myths or, or like controversies, or I don't even know what the word, right word to use that you've heard that you know are not correct or that through your, um, the left side movement, you've kind of gotten rid of or tried to get rid of even? Yeah, that's a good question. I think like the one I just said is a huge one, um, because, I think the more you hear about something and talk about it, the more aware you are. And that's what awareness is, right? So Mm -hmm. that's what we're kind of creating. Mm -hmm. Um, I think another myth is like with, with food and eating, I think it's almost like a myth. Like if you, let me think of how I'm trying to say this. Um, like with food and eating, like you can't tell somebody that's struggling to just eat. Like, I think it's a kind of a myth. I don't know how I'm trying to say it, but, um, that, no, that person, like if they don't get help and 
you can't just fix them. Like, I think it's a kind of a myth, um, that they can easily be fixed. Mm. So, um, like not encouraging people to seek help is also like kind of this myth that's out there, um, to me, because I think that's kind of what I went through and just how coaches try to fix an athlete instead of getting them the help that they need. Um, trying to think of some other myths. Where do you think Um, that actually stems from? I'm curious, just that a coach would think, is it more like pride or just, I don't know, do they think it's going to make it worse or? I mean, I guess because if it, depending if the athlete's like a key, key player on the team, then maybe they just don't want to remove them. They want to utilize their strengths at the time. And they probably think that if they get help, they're going to get slower Mm-hmm. or they're going to have to take time away. And I, that could be scary to a coach. And maybe mm-hmm. it could be just an experience they went through. Like, I think a lot of these things we learn, like they're, we had something happen to us and maybe, you know, a coach had something happen to them and that's the experience they went through and that's how they dealt with it. And now that's how it's translating. Um, and kind of refusing to learn and educate properly. So I hear that too with parents as well. Like the more um, people I talk to that struggle with certain things like an eating disorder, it's like, well, if your parent, your mom grew up and that's just how you were raised, then it's, it's really hard because the parents aren't necessarily going to help you. They're going to make it worse. Yeah. 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 Because you see what your parents are doing like I trusted my coach and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like that parent figure, like I didn't want to disappoint them. And I think that plays a big role in a lot of athletes. Like they don't want to let somebody down and um, it's kind yeah. of like that area where they get stuck in. So now through talking with all of these teams and um, coaches and athletic programs, what are some things like some changes that are being made that you see that are positive? And then where do you see as like room for improvement? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of different things. I would say at the top of my like list that I benchmark with is, is that university of Michigan with athletes connected and they they specifically started this center and they partner with like their center for depression and some of these other places and then their athletic department. Um, and they now like do videos and they have meetings, they have topics that they train athletes on and they're using former athletes and it's just a great way to do it. And I think they've gotten a lot of success out of it. And, um, I think a lot of universities should take a look at them um, and what they're doing. Um, I think at Penn State specifically, um, they just hired a new nutritionist and she was my former teammate. And I'm really excited with her background in psychology and, you know, the different topics that she's passionate about and just, you know, propelling that forward. They now have a department called student athlete welfare and development. And so that's new and that's important because the development piece is not only career development, but it's also, you know, wellness and how to develop yourself as a person, both mentally and physically. 
So that's specifically at Penn State. But I'd like to see more collaboration, if anything, at schools, because all these resources are like on campus, but it's almost like they act in separate entities. So their student athletes aren't essentially getting the best of the best. And it's just interesting to me um, that if you're not using a collaborative approach that I think schools should be and connecting those different specialists on campus. Um, I think that's so important. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. No, I agree. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, it, it takes a team to kind of work together to make mm-hmm. your athletes successful. It's not just the coach. It's not just the athlete themselves. You know, they need resources as well. And, you know, it comes from a lot of people, you know, think about growing up as a kid, you know, you have your parents, you have your grand, hopefully you have your grandparents and you have, mm-hmm. you know, other friends who are supportive in your life. So, um, it sounds like you're on, or, you know, we're kind of moving in that direction slowly, but surely. Yeah. 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 And even just like having strong runner chicks, like I didn't have anything like that in college, like an outlet to look at, you know, different, you know, female athletes experiences and reading these stories that I can relate to. Like nobody did that back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was only like 10 years ago, but you know, that's come a <laughs> yeah. long way. And hearing like professional athletes come out about their experiences and like through the Olympics hearing about like I had depression and I struggled through that. It's, it just makes people more relatable and you don't feel like you're so alone in what you're going through. Sorry. Yeah. That's such an important piece there. And um, one question we have on that is for all of our readers out there who are really struggling with the comparison trap and just Mm -hmm. getting stuck in comparing themselves to others, what advice would you have for them to like learn how to kind of go back into themselves? What would you recommend? Yeah, I always use the quote, comparison is the thief of joy, because for me, that's what happened. Um, from high school to college. Um, I never had so much joy like running in in high school and I'm slowly getting it back now, but it was a a long journey to get back. Um, But once comparison like seeped into my thought process, it was almost like it was toxic and I just didn't feel normal anymore. Um, I felt like I was always comparing my, my workouts to other girls looking, you know, at Instagram or Facebook pictures, oh, I need to look like that person. You can, you can definitely like drive yourself insane that way and, and body checking and all those things. And I'm not saying like looking in the mirror is a bad thing um, because I think it can be a good tool, but I think that's where like the acceptance piece um, and some of the things that we talk about in our workshops, uh, like self-talk, because we already have like so many thoughts in our head that are negative. It's trying to work towards um, this place of acceptance and kind of neutralizing some of the negative words that go through your head. So utilizing sports psychologists um, is really important. I also think, you know, using positive affirmations correctly. So most of the people that use positive affirmations are already like they have a high self-esteem. So I think what's important maybe when you're having a low self-esteem is to use more neutral wording and make them more 
like the statements more attainable. Mm -hmm. So not putting too much pressure on yourself with those affirmations. And then I always use a journal um, because I think you can get to the root of maybe where those comparisons are coming from. And, you know, that helped in my healing process and just, oh, okay, this day I thought this way. And why did I feel that way? And you process it. And I think that's part of the healing process with comparison. And also social media is huge and I think it can be such a great tool, but you know, maybe if you're struggling, you could do a detox or um, just take a break. Sometimes Um, I think that really cleanses your system as far as, you know, you aren't looking at these images that maybe are giving you anxiety or maybe making you upset, or you can just unfollow those people or those you know, handles that are creating those feelings within you. Um, Because I've done that every now and then I've figured out, oh, okay, I'm looking at this girl's profile and it's making me want to lose weight. Like, why am I thinking that? And I'm going to unfollow her. So I just think that's also really important in the world that we live in. Um, Because it's never, social media is never going to go away. So how can we adapt and how can we use it as a positive tool instead of a negative tool? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And um, I I know you do a social media cleanse. That's correct, right, Megan? Yes, and I haven't started. <laughs> Typically, I do the whole month of December. Um, but because of I had surgery recently and some other things, um, because of doing the workshop for the gymnastics team, I'm waiting a little bit longer. But Typically I do the month of December and then I like read an Advent book or something to like make me feel more grateful um, for what I have. So it's just a little thing. If you can't go that far, um, like I said, you can kind of do a, see what your social media footprint is and maybe do like a detox that could be a day or just, you know, a week or something less than that. It's all up to like that person that, you know, is taking that step. Yeah, I like the the concept. Sorry, of the uh, social media footprint that just got me thinking. Like, what is my footprint? And also, like, not just how what are we consuming, but what's the information that we're putting out there? Like, Mm -hmm. am I having a negative effect on other people, or how are yeah, what kind of footprint are we leaving out there on social media? And like, hopefully, if you're listening, like, I I think it's everyone can just kind of like take a step back and think about what am I putting out into the world? And yeah, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. We did that, um, at a couple of our workshops, like we had our, you know, participants do kind of a, a scan of their social media. Like, what are you posting? Who are you following? And then like coming up with like a couple words of like, what, what do you think, you're saying with your social media footprint and it was funny when we when we did one for a high school team they didn't know what a social media footprint was and so just having to explain that and more in depth you know just going to those conversations was pretty meaningful and I think they took a lot away from it so I know one of the things that I do and we kind of sort of mentioned this in this little two minute chat or a few minute chat here was um I went through my, I love Instagram. I'll be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. I'm a super visual person. I just love it. Um, Mm -hmm. and I can find it really, um, 
really beneficial for me just to like kind of get outside of myself and see what's going on in the world and in the world of social media. But um, one of the most recent things I did was actually I deleted like a ton of people I was following off of Instagram and it was so refreshing and I feel bad that I did it. But if that person wasn't providing me with anything, then why am I going to follow them? That might be a little bit harsher, but it's, it's not worth it. Like it's, it's just kind of for me, like, and they may unfollow me and that's okay. But I think it's more of, you know, realizing who's serving you and like Mm -hmm. how you're serving others in retrospect. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's a great thing to do. I highly recommend the social media thing. And I know on Elena's December self-care calendar, she had turn your phone mm-hmm. off for three hours. Oh, and nice. I thought that was great. Like that's a yeah. great way to start, you know? So, um, yeah, I highly recommend it. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely think it's a useful tool too. So mm-hmm. definitely. Um, so recently, um, you ran a race and you PR'd. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was really fun. So I originally wasn't going to do this 8k in Philadelphia. And I think it was just because of the timing of a surgery I was having and my husband was already doing it. So I was like, okay, why, why not? And they actually comped my entry. So I was like, if they caught my entry, I'll do it. If they're, if they don't, then I probably won't. So they ended up comping my entry and I literally, <laughs> It was crazy. So we got there late, late in the night on Friday, um, tried to figure out a dinner. And actually, unfortunately, with my, with my symptoms and endometriosis, um, I've had to go on a gluten-free regimen. And so I am still learning about this diet change and figuring out where to eat was a huge deal. <laughs> because if I go back, then I have a lot of stomach issues. So um, found a place to eat, but it only ended up being like a salad with chicken and not something substantial I would normally eat before a race. And so I was like, okay, it's going to be not so well, but, um, went to bed. The race was later because the half was first and then the 8k went off around like uh, 1045. So that's pretty late for a race for me. Mm. Um, so I got up and realized, oh, I don't have my running shoes or my racing shoes. Um, So I wore like my long run clunky, like pretty heavy, like New Balance shoes. Um, And then I got my period the morning of the race, Mm -hmm. which I wasn't prepared for Mm -hmm. as usual. Um, And just was feeling like really negative, like extremely negative. And I think this is where like having a support system is fantastic because another girl we were with, she was racing and my husband was there and just like the encouragement that they gave me. Um, I was like, okay, I'm making a decision to just let it all go and just go out there and just have fun. Well, we then got to the race literally 10 minutes before it started. So there was no warm up. We just ran from the Uber to the start line and got there and I was like, well, this is just going to be whatever it is. And I really just had fun with it and PR'd by, I guess, two minutes. And it was just a fantastic, like, showing of, you know, how, like, overcoming, like, negativity can really, like, allow you to enjoy life and enjoy, like, running. So that was just, like, a recent experience for me. That was pretty great. Well, thanks for sharing that because I know it's tricky to start a race off like that. But the fact that you were able to 
provide yourself with a little bit of like positive self-talk and reinforcement Mm -hmm. and trust yourself, even going back to that, Mm -hmm. trusting yourself and being surprised, um, supporting yourself with positive, um, uh, those around you who are positive influence. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Are wonderful. Um, so we kind of wanted to jump into this question. Um, so you wrote a feature for SRC called looking back lessons from a former NCA runner. Um, and you mentioned speaking out and reaching out as being key pieces of advice to your younger self. Mm -hmm. So right now, what advice would you have for listeners that might be struggling to reach out or seek help? Hmm. Yeah, it's, I'd say like once you're, if you're in that moment, it's so hard. And that's where like, I'm hoping they have support around them because sometimes that's almost what it takes as well. And knowing who is there to support you because that's who you can share with. Um, But also knowing, like, for me, when I started to speak about it, all that freedom that came, I think, you know, going back to that, like, obviously, I waited 10 years. And a lot has a lot of baggage has come with that. And so the sooner you talk about some of these hard things, I think is, is just outstanding. I think you can become resilient in what you go through. And um, you can become a better athlete. So I think it's important to find who you can be supported by and who you can trust around you. Um, And hopefully that is like your coach and your teammates and your family. But if it isn't, I mean, there are professionals on your campus and, and finding those people, um, you know, is also important as well, because those are the people that I've noted as my real life heroes, like they have invested in my healing and, you know, me becoming who I was before my eating disorder, even though, you know, I think I'm not, I think I went through what I went through for a reason and I am different in a lot of good ways, but I also think I lost a part of, you know, the joy I was talking about before, um, and I think they, they've helped me get back to that place. Um, so it's really important to share, even though it's, it's really hard and it takes a lot of courage. So. Do you find that the more you share, like the easier it becomes? Yes. Um, so I'm not a public speaker and I think that's why it's so ironic, like that I feel called to do this because it's, it's not like my gift, but honestly, like, I think, it's something that has helped me learn and grow. And I think by reaching out and sharing, it's helped others learn and grow. And so it's like this huge process or life process. And I just feel like I've been called to do this in a way. And even though I'm so scared of public speaking, it it just doesn't matter sometimes. And it's just, I put others like before that fear. So, oh, uh, Kelsey, we, Kelsey and I just had a conversation and I swear a bunch of the stuff we talked about is just the themes are rolling in. That yeah. was one of them. So <laughs> I think that even makes it more special. The fact that you are doing this because you feel so called to do it. It's like that comes above the feelings mm-hmm. of feeling scared. And, um, I don't know, there's a quote out there about, you know, the moment you stop getting nervous for it is like the moment that it's just not, it, it, you know, something is important to you when it's nerve wracking. Did you guys uh, freeze or I froze? 
correct or it's like the moment you know you're meant to do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Is that right, Megan? Yeah. Yeah, okay. you got it. Okay. All right. No, okay. <laughs> so we've got about two minutes left here. We're kind of running on a time crunch, but um, we really want to wrap up with our favorite question that we ask all of our mm-hmm. listeners. And that is, um, Megan, what does being a strong runner chick mean to you? Mm. It's definitely a lot of different pieces for me. Um, because what I thought was a strong runner back in high school has totally changed now. And I think it's really important to take your experiences and that they're going to shape you, whether you went through a negative experience or a positive. And I think that growth that you go through makes you stronger in some way. You don't realize when you're going through it, unfortunately, probably most of the time, because it's really hard to go through these experiences. But I think on the other side, knowing like why I went through something and being able to help now has really shaped, you know, why I think a strong runner is, you know, not just about running, but it's also about like what you went through and who you are. Um, and I think that's important with being a strong runner. Um, you have to know what your other passions are as well. So not just defining yourself or, you know, everything who you are as a runner. I think it's everything else. Like you're a big pie and what are the other pieces that are making um, you who you are? Unfortunately, Megan's podcast got cut off here due to the service that we were using to record. But um, I would like to hop on and let you know that you can book Megan for a workshop at www.loveflymovement.com or you can check her out on Instagram or Facebook at lovefly-movement. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the Strong Runner Chicks Radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.